Amen. Let's go home. So, thank you so much, Cindy, for sharing with us this morning. Um, we're so glad that you have joined us for worship this morning uh, in this uh, kind of rainy day. It was a beautiful day yesterday. We got some rain. I actually saw some ducks in the parking lot. So if you, uh, maybe we can track those down later. Uh, so they were just hanging out. I'm not sure what was going on. Um, so, but I've never seen ducks in the parking lot before. Um, there's, a, there's lots going on, uh, and you'll find all kinds of stuff on the sign-up tables out uh, in the foyer. We'd invite you to, do, to uh, check that out after we're done today. And also, um, you'll, uh, you'll notice, uh, hopefully, in our emails and uh, around the church about uh, Kate Campbell is going to be here. A uh, wonderful uh, singer-songwriter, if you haven't heard of her uh, before. She's, uh, she's been doing it for a long time. I saw her at the Alliance a few years back and just... Just amazing songs, wonderful storyteller. And uh, so uh, tickets are going to be on sale to starting today. Uh, you'll find those out in the lobby uh, as well afterwards if you want to check that out uh, for Kate Campbell on May 5th. Um, this week was spring break, and Melissa and I kind of took days off here and there um, to spend with the kids. And on Wednesday, I took the kids uh, down to the Pinnacles and we went hiking in Berea, and, uh, and I had been there, uh, it'd been a little bit since I'd been at the Pinnacles, maybe a year, and uh, we went down, and I can never remember which Pinnacle to go to, which is which. I remember like, oh, I was at this one, and there was a big rock, and I was at this one, and there was a different big rock. And, um, and so we finally, uh, we, we decided where to go, and we got up to the top of one, uh, uh, to Indian Fort, is it Indian Fort Lookout at the top? Uh, with Devil's Kitchen beneath of it, which we didn't make it down to Devil's Kitchen. Uh, and, uh, and the kids were like, let's go on. And so we kept going, and we kept going, and went up to the West Pinnacle. And, uh, and it was a gorgeous, beautiful day, and uh, the, the trees still didn't have leaves on them, and you could see so far. Uh, by the time we got done, uh, we had all fallen down a few times here and there, and were pretty tired and, and weary. Um, at the end of our journey, but I tell you, there was something beautiful and refreshing about that time uh, together. Uh, just being out in nature, getting to see the beauty of, of God's creation and, uh, and just getting to hang out with one another. So even though we were tired physically, there was rejuvenation that happened there. So it's this morning as we think about what it means to take time for rest, um, to take time to pay attention to those things in our lives, uh, that are also important, times for rest and times for play, um, times to take ourselves out of the rat race that we find ourselves in so often. Um, we remember that God offers us grace. So this morning, uh, as we begin, we're going to light this candle. Let's stand together as we read our call to worship. O oh God, your love is a river. God, your love is a river. Oh God, your love is a river. Oh God, your love is a river. Amen. Now let's pass the peace of Christ with one another this morning.
sing together number 463 you'll find in your hymnals how firm a foundation I think it's misprinted in there. Psalm 126. Here's Psalm 126 this morning. When the Lord changed Zion's circumstances for the better, it was like we had been dreaming. Our mouths were suddenly filled with laughter. Our tongues were filled with joyful shouts. It was even said at that time among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are overjoyed. Lord, change our circumstances for the better. Like dry streams in the desert waste, let those who plant with tears reap the harvest with joyful shouts. Let those who go out crying and carrying their seed come home with joyful shouts, carrying bales of grain. The word of the Lord.
wretched sinner, lost and left to die. Raise your head, for love is passing by. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and live. Now your burdens are lifted, carried far away. Precious blood has washed the stains away. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus and live. Like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And when you walk, sometimes So fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus and live. Sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, then cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, and live. When the love spills over and music fills the night, and when you can't contain your joy inside, then dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, and live. And with your final heartbeat, bid this world goodbye. Then go in peace and laugh on glory's side. Then fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus and Okay, now we can go home. <laughs> Thank you, Jim and Cindy. Wow. The lectionary text for today is the early section of the 12th chapter of John. And those familiar with that section remember that in the 11th chapter, Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, has been called out of the tomb and has been resurrected from the dead. And... The early part of chapter 12 is the celebration where 
Mary, Lazarus' sister, anoints Jesus' feet with perfume and wipes the perfume with her hair. So the setting here in John 12 is the night before Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The approaching morning will begin the day that we wave branches and celebrate as Palm Sunday. And Jesus is in a familiar place with others, a home in Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem, where these three siblings lived and who over the years had become very close friends of our Lord. But it's a weird time. The scent of sickness and death still lingers in the air. The brother, Lazarus, bearing the highly unusual distinction of being a former corpse, was, as their custom, while eating, reclining next to Jesus. Perhaps they were mirror images of one another. One man resembling death now alive, a shadow of the other man who will die in one week's time and will also live again. But I'm sure you can imagine the oddity, a reunion celebration where the man of honor was once dead, a social occasion with no precedent, what do you say in casual conversation to someone who returned from the grave? How was your trip? What do you write on the banner? Welcome back doesn't seem quite appropriate, does it? What do you scribble across the sheet cake? Happy rebirthday? Help me out. Maybe you know how to have one of these celebrations. But this uncertainty was added in tension by the disciples who were on pins and needles. They had tried to persuade Jesus to stay as far away from Jerusalem as possible. They knew the risks were too high, the threats too great. Many wanted Jesus dead, and some of the conspirators, they recognized their present at this strange party. But Jesus was determined to take his movement to the capital city, and he wanted to be with his friends this final week that would begin for him. Plus, his friends needed him. Lazarus had died, remember, and the two sisters, Mary and Martha, were convinced that Jesus had the power to heal their brother from sickness. How overwhelming to discover how Jesus also had command over death. And like so many things in Jesus' life, everything is filled with multiple meanings. Jesus would rise from the dead and Lazarus' story would testify to Jesus' determination to share resurrection's power with his friends and his followers. We know that Jesus and the friendship he had with these three siblings transcended the normal working relationship he had with the disciples. When Jesus was tired from 
the demands of the crowd and weary from hard travel upon the roads and through the towns, he was able to return to this home in Bethany and lay down the burden of being the 24-7 Messiah and maybe for a little while relax at his friend's house and rest and maybe experience for a brief period of time what it might have felt like to be normal. All of us, every single one of us, even Jesus, needs friends who truly understand us and accept us and take us exactly as we are without demands, expectations, or preconditions. All of us, each one of us, even Jesus, needs times to disengage, to disconnect, and to disappear. And at some point in this strange evening, Mary springs up into action. And here I think we can dispel with the notion that Martha was the responsible doer and Mary was an impractical dreamer. Yes, Martha's reputation is about being busy, busy with the housework or the mill or the duties of the home, but but I view Mary also as busy, busy with the things of the kingdom. Mary was not going to be distracted when Jesus would sit down to teach. Paraphrasing the text in 12.8, we might say, dust and dishes you'll always have with you. But when someone like Jesus is teaching, that's something you better not miss, regardless of whatever uh, pressures or tasks that you feel need to be done. So we discover in Mary, perhaps, the most perceptive of all those who are surrounding Jesus. She is keenly aware of the gravity and significance of this moment. And the seven-day countdown now commenced where Jesus will be stretched out again, not reclining easily at table with friends, but pulled apart upon a torturous beam of agony and execution. Imagine this drama playing out in Mary's insightful mind and sensitive heart. Her brother, who was lost to death, now laughing and eating and returned back to them, and her Lord, with the power over life itself, abundant and everlasting life, soon to be given over to death and to his enemies. And that this was going to be their last supper together. And she knew it. Overwhelmed with intense love and deeply in sync with the weight bearing down upon our Lord and his approaching destiny, she breaks with all conventionality and com common sense. And at the risk of offending every single person in the room, completes an action of extravagant, extraordinary, and extreme devotion. In the breakdown of Barbara Brown Taylor's treatment of this text she says there's four ways mary offended the crowd first she loosened her hair something an honorable woman never does 
Secondly, she pours expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Perhaps this perfume is appropriate for the end of life and if reserved for the living, like maybe for a king, it would be poured upon the head, not upon the feet. She touches him. A single woman rubbing a man's feet. Also not done. Even among friends. And finally, she wipes the perfume off with her hair. According to Brown, a bizarre end to an all-around bizarre act. Now, as you go through this text, you'll learn, even in parentheses and later, that this quiet is invaded by tension and noise and conflict. But I think it's asking us to pause for a moment, to not rush too quickly past the single moment of love-enriched worship where the scent of perfume carries across the room and we observe a connection of intimacy and gratitude and love far more mysterious and poignant than is usually found upon the pages of religious literature. Maya Angelou, writing in Wouldn't Take Nothing for My Journey Now, says, Every person needs to take one day away, a day in which one consciously separates the past from the future. Jobs, family, employers, and friends can exist one day without any one of us, and if our egos permit us to confess, they could exist eternally in our absence. Each person deserves a day away in which no problems are confronted, no solutions searched for. Each of us needs to withdraw from the cares which will not withdraw from us. What I really appreciate about what Mary does in this event is she teaches me how to be more fully present in the now, in the moment at hand, that context and timing are everything. You can't spell every sentence in all caps and end every sentence with an exclamation point and have any emphasis. Your speech doesn't become exceptional, it just becomes rude and obnoxious. And so we need regular moments of rest, but also rare moments of glory of exceptionalism, of power. And Mary knew how to be present in such a moment. I believe she had a prophetic understanding of the times around her. She knew how to tune out the noise and dial up the affection. That while we sing, oh, what a friend I have in Jesus, we might also want to sing, oh, what a friend Jesus had in Mary.
begin our response this morning by singing together, Spirit, open my heart. Number 692 in your time to, to light candles, to pray, to just be present with God who is present with us. We'll read our call to prayer in a moment, but first let's just maybe just take a deep breath. those things that 
distract us. It will be waiting for us later. Let those things fall away for a few moments. And perhaps in this space, in this time, we can see the face of Jesus. might perhaps find his eyes upon us and see that there is love and there is grace. I invite you as we begin our time of response together to read responsibly with me our call to prayer. When our souls are cracked and dry, when we've worked late into the night, when we're exhausted with worry, when we're haunted by what we've lost, when we've watered the ground with our tears. Lord, hear our prayers. God, we are grateful that you are present with us. 
you are ever with us on this threshold of the now, somewhere on the edge of what has happened and what will soon be. We ask you for eyes to see, for ears to hear, for hearts to understand. find ourselves enveloped in your love and your grace and your presence, God. That our worries and our fears might be lit by the gracious wonder of your presence with us. space for us to worship and to be present with one another to know that we are accepted and that we are loved not just by the presence of God here but by the presence of each other so thank you for that this morning so as we go we're going to sing one last song together I invite you to stand as you're able and we'll sing send us out in love you'll find these words printed in your orders of worship Oh 